Greetings, citizens. Welcome to Slow Motion Triple Feature, a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks. Each month, a different friend will select a different triple feature for their friends to enjoy and discuss. I'm your host, Mike Keller, and I'm joined today by my good friends, Kit and Andrew. Uh, oh, yeah, I cut this part out. Um, Slow Motion Triple Feature is one of the many fine podcasts brought to you by the American Friends Institute. Uh, Kit, do you want to tell us any more about the American Friends Institute? Okay. Not really. Okay. Am I read? Am I still reading this? I thought we okay. jettisoned it. Never mind then. We don't. Uh, we won't do that. Um, today we finish off. Am I supposed to read it every I episode? Just feel like I can't listeners remember. are going to be really confused, what? especially right now. Like, what are we talking about? <laughs> Here I am, average Joe, looking for a new podcast. Decide to jump into episode nine. Of this podcast, what the hell is going the on? The American Friend Institute is an organization that honors the heritage of the motion picture arts. We produce educational podcasts about film, including Adam Sandler, Life in Pictures, and have a curate and have curated a jury selected list of 100 greatest films of all time. The American film Friend Institute was founded out of our mutual disgust that The Exorcist was not on the American Film Institute's list of the 100 greatest movies. It's also not on our list because no one nominated it. I think we all probably thought someone else would do it, so no Exorcist. But Tommy Boy did squeak in at number 100, according to the American Friend Institute. Tim Burton is the greatest director of all time and the three best films in cinema history all came out in one year in a one year period between 1981 and 1982 two of them starring Harrison Ford <laughs> Uh, today, we finish off Andrew's Tom Cruise movies that Mike hasn't seen triple feature with 2006 Mission Impossible 3, directed by J.J. Abrams and written by J.J. Abrams, Alex Kurtzman, and Roberto Orki. Um, the film stars Bing Rames, Michelle Monaghan, 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 Monaghan. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Billy Crudup, Carrie Russell, Lawrence Fishburne, Maggie Q, Jonathan Reese Myers, and the one, the only, Thomas Cruise, Map Other, the fourth. <laughs> Isn't that the um, third? It said fourth on Wikipedia. I don't know. Mm, okay. I'll have to ask him next time I see him. Maybe, 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 <laughs> maybe, maybe, uh, maybe he is the fourth now because he assumed the identity of the third. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's like a being John Malkovich kind of thing. Definitely. That'd be cool. Man, being Tom Cruise, that would be fun. I'd, I would do it when cool he's one. like taken off on a like uh, outside of a plane or something. That'd be great. Yeah, would I know how to fly a plane if I was just in his yes. body? That's how it works. Yeah, you just get to ride basically. Although mm-hmm. Cusack eventually takes over like a puppeteer for Malkovich and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, Anyways, okay. uh, Tom Cruise is, I think we can all agree, a ripe vessel. So, mm. um, <laughs> so uh, I had not seen this film before. Both of you had. Um, yep. I had seen every other Mission Impossible film, but I skipped this one. And I think it was because I didn't really care for you're Mission Impossible 2. Yeah, and I'm cool. But uh, No, you're a fool. <laughs> I, cool, yes, I am cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, then I saw Ghost Protocol because everybody was raving about it. And I really was kind of so-so on it. And then I saw Rogue Nation because I'm not really even sure why. 
and um, I loved it. And I love Rogue Nation and Fallout. And I think I still think the first one is the best one. Um, but I think I was, I think I was probably wrong to skip this one. But after two, I rewatched two recently. Also, I don't blame myself for skipping this one. Yeah. Can I? That's can, true. But, uh, can I just? Can I say something to you real quick? Just like no, we don't really have time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Just like. Uh, I, I popped this movie in yesterday. By the way, my my PlayStation Four stopped accepting discs yesterday, so I had to like do a bunch of YouTube tutorials to like open it up and like tighten screws and shit to figure out how to. Oh, weird. So I could watch this movie. So really big ramp up for me on this one. Um, but uh, I was just I was just like thinking like imagine that you are a studio executive or just just some some like studio person who has to read lots of scripts and. You're on your 900th script this week, and you really only ever get in like five pages and just throw shit in the trash. And you're you're sitting there, and you open it, and on page fucking one, the first goddamn line is, we've put an explosive charge in your head. <laughs> just like, and it's, and, it's, and it's delivered by one of the greatest actors of all time. Yes. Like yes. It, God, it, I miss Philip Seymour Hoffman. It is a it is a line that could either just like immediately lose your audience or hook them for two hours. I can I tell what? you something? I didn't even notice. Like it just went. I was like, of course. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. It just went right by. He's so scary he's, in he's that. So scene. terrifying. And and you know what's you know what else is great? I noticed there was a couple of beats that they gave him where they it was like uh where it like turned into a horror movie. Did you notice that? Where like they mm-hmm. they started mm-hmm. doing like the like horror movie like uh, violin strings. Um, it was when yeah. it was when he uh, when they're on the plane and he says uh, where. What's what's your name? And, he, or and then he fi- and then one, once he knows it and he calls him by his name. Yeah. And then there's uh, mm-hmm. one other moment that they did. I can't remember towards the end, and it's like it just like the music changes and it kind of, they kind of shoot it in a sort of a scary way, and I was like oh. The music is so yes. good. It reminds me of the first one. It also, it yeah. One. Me too. Yeah, it's very Danny Elfman-y, but like more, um, and I've never heard of the guy Michael who Giacchino? did Michael Giacchino? He did yeah. Up. He's done the Star Trek movies. He's done a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's, he did, oh, I never Michael heard Giacchino of him. is like, he's one, he's one he's of the good really ones. He's really good. Unf- he's kind of a, he's kind of become a, um, a John Williams stand-in, which I actually. Well, I mean, he's kind of standing in for Danny Elfman on yeah, this one, which I don't love that because I think he's, I think he's actually like a very good composer. Um, it was there were it was extremely. Um, I don't know how to say this, and I'm probably not qualified to, but it was like there were times in the music where it's like I feel like this is just a symphony that they're using. Mm-hmm. Like it, it feels so classical at certain times. The the music on the bridge scene oh is God, like yeah. it's amazingly yeah. good yeah i did i did find myself really like music. several times throughout this rewatch just like just totally paying attention to the music mm-hmm. uh i didn't really notice the music this time this is the first time you've watched it oh yeah i mean <laughs> for this film like I, there's like legend i noticed the music and stuff like that Andrew, what's your history? Okay, my history movie? with this movie is that I saw it with some of our mutual friends, and I remember, I remember us walking out of the theater and like and and liking it. But I remember the movie feeling like it it's pretty luke like it was lukewarm. And I remember too, 
Um, like just like people's reception, like the general public were just like, oh yeah, Mission Impossible three came out, and me thinking like this movie yeah. fucking rocks. Like what is happening? And then also it was right around, um, all of that bullshit with uh with him with the couch jumping and him being a well him being yeah. a with Matt Lauer and all that. Um, and so like I think I remember there was a there was like he and Paramount had kind of like a falling out I think and like, um if I recall correctly, like they tried to like come after him for damages to the movie, which I think this movie still made a lot of money. Um, but I think this, like that stuff surrounding this movie is why we didn't get another mission impossible for five or six years. Hmm. But this was like the last, but if you look at his filmography, I'm pretty sure this is like his last big starring role until ghost protocol. What came? Hmm. Do you know what? Uh, here, let's take one second and look them up. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what came. There's before like and Trop- after this. Tropic Thunder before Ghost Protocol, yeah, right? But you know, not a starring role. I mean, he's not star. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of what's in there. Is what about War of the Worlds? When was that? Like 2005. Uh, yeah, that's earlier. So okay. we have. Um... Yeah. So after after um, after Mission. Of, okay. So okay. So no. So then there's Valkyrie and and Night and Day. Those were those were. Not, but those yeah, were, I like that. Those were after. Those were after, yeah. and I know Valkyries. I like good. Valkyrie. Night and Day is not very good, but he's great in it. But he's I, really good at it. But I don't think it was no. a huge hit. But it did okay. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. So I think I, right. I think Ghost Protocol is. I think the reason I think it's his comeback is because it's like it's a big Tom Cruise vehicle. Like it's very clearly all Tom. It's a movie mm-hmm. that he is, you know, the de facto overlord of, and. And mm-hmm. absolutely pushed to the front in the marketing. Like Valkyrie, he he's definitely the star of that movie. But I feel like, I mean, yeah, I thought it was an it's, ensemble. It's a huge ensemble, yeah, and it's like an amazing cast. But like, and he is so, and even his performance is so subdued compared to like, you know, Jerry Maguire or something like that. Um, and then Night and Day, I feel like the I feel like that was really pushed as uh, a Cameron Diaz movie. Anyway. Interesting. Yeah, because it's like before. So this was 2006. Mm-hmm. So 2002 is Minority Report. 2003 is The Last Samurai. 2004 is Collateral. 2005 is War of the Worlds. Then there's this. And then, yeah, it's like there was Lions for Lambs, Tropic Thunder, Valkyrie, Night and Day. And then 2011 finally was Ghost Protocol. And I do feel like not necessarily those movies. I mean, Tropic Thunder is a really small role. But yeah, it wasn't your. Yeah, I. I, I didn't even I wouldn't have noticed that or something, but yeah, it was kind of like Lions for Lambs was kind of like a smaller, not a big action movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Valkyrie, he wasn't. It wasn't like go see the new Tom Cruise vehicle or same thing with Night and Day. It was yeah, like both of them. It just uh, it, Diaz and Cruise. And it's like it's it's crazy to think because I you know before looking at his IMDb like right now, I really thought there was it really felt like there was more of a hole um in his in yeah. his filmography and it's, it's well i mean that's i mean four years yeah 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 um, but i mean he's still doing stuff like it's not like he stopped well, being an actor but yeah i think i think i think the 2000 2007 2008 section because it's like you know how long did he work on tropic thunder a couple of weeks how long did he work on right. on limes for limbs that's a very small role in a very boring movie that was unsuccessful um so yeah it was it looks like it made money what the hell I mean, is that movie? It's like about. a po- it's, it's a uh, political thriller that Robert Redford directed. 
Yeah. Meryl Streep's in it. Yeah. Andrew Garfield. I never saw Meryl it. Meryl Streep and Tom Cruise have scenes mm-hmm. together? Uh, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I think they do. Okay. Hmm. It's really bad. But but yeah, but it was like a smaller movie. Like maybe not an award season movie, but like kind of like a little bit of an adult political But like, film. but then you look at, um, you know, you look at Mission Impossible Gross po- Protocol and then it's like he did, he did Rock of Ages right after that. Um, but, yeah. but then just like everything since then is Tom Cruise movies. Jack Reacher. Yeah. Edge of Tomorrow. Just very much, Nation, very much yeah. him. Um, so I still haven't seen American Made. You guys should watch that. that. It's good. Me either. It's like I, know. I heard it. Yeah, I heard it. Was it's good. like if Blow was better and funnier. Yeah. Yeah. And Tom Cruise flies um, an airplane. So. Well, Kit, let's uh, get your uh, I guess initial experiences or thoughts on the. Um. So I'm when I moved to Chicago in 2010, and I was living mm-hmm. in my studio apartment by myself with no car, like feeling very isolated. Uh, Lee was the only person I knew here. Uh, Andrew found out that I had not seen any of the Mission Impossible movies. Um, so he, genius that he is, sent me the third one <laughs> to start with. And it, and I mean, I think it was purposeful. And also, he was proven correct because it is still my favorite Mission Impossible movie. Really? And it did kind of, ma- yeah, it did kind of make me, I mean, Fallout... Fallout's really good, and I really like Ghost Protocol. Um, and the first one is like you know cre- started everything. Um, although wh- having watched the third one first, I then like immediately went back and watched the first one and the second one. Um, and the first one, I was like, I think, I think I appreciate it more now than I did at the time. At the time, I was kind of disappointed that like. Ethan's a little bit of a different character in the first one than he is by the mm-hmm. third one, um, which, I mean, is understandable, um, but it, I didn't like him as much. Um, and then in the second one, it's just like, ugh, he's, yeah. ugh, it's such a yeah. stupid movie. Um, but the third, yeah, the third one is still like my gold standard of a Mission Impossible movie. And as much, and I, I, I totally enjoy how like now the, the kind of the thing of Mission Impossible is just doing increasingly insane stunts, kind of like a Fast and the Furious type of thing where it's just like, we're going to up the ante of what's the dumbest, craziest thing that Tom Cruise can actually do um, in the movies. But I kind of think this one is the best movie of the three. It also has the distinction of being the only Mission Impossible movie I can understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I can follow everything that's happening, um, which I love the other movies, but I don't know what is going on. Um, and there's certain choices that J.J. Um, Abrams makes that I think make it a movie that I can really... Uh, pay attention to also probably not for nothing there's a love story in it and it's not a stupid like spy love story where it's just there to be like okay here's the sexy part like it's an actual like romantic story and that's probably part of why i really like it speaking of sexy i did think it was a little bit weird that when he he gets in that uh that limo and he has to drink the stuff that knocks him out and he just launches straight into a sex dream do you guys think that was weird what? Yeah, he, he, he just he, loves. Yeah, his he wife. like he's like passing out, you know, like he's going unconscious because he so that they can move him. Don't you remember? 
Right. And like it just. I remember it, that. He's remembering. It, he's remembering. He's remembering having sex. So it's a sex dream. <laughs> Very strange. Just like imagine, imagine like two thugs. Like you know, they get to the location and they're like, they gotta, they gotta move this this unconscious dude who's drooling all over himself, and he's just got like a massive boner. <laughs> no, that does not happen no, to I Ethan. That makes him easier to pick up. He's, he's completely in control. It's a handle. Yeah. Ugh. Kit, you just don't understand. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So. That's interesting. I. Uh, oh no. No, I like the film. Oh, I feel okay. one one thing. I think the way I, I I was this morning, I was like, man, because I watched it last night, and this morning I was like, man, like I don't really know wh- how much I have to say about this movie. I liked it. I thought it was good, but I feel like it's really slow to take off. Um, what like, are you talking that's about? That's why I like it. First of all, well, well no, I don't I think it is me, at all. Let him talk. Let me. Okay. And so okay. it jumps into things that are happening, but, um, you know, I had just watched one and two mm-hmm. before I watched this one mm-hmm. and like, I had seen both of those before, but, um, so it starts off with kind of like a scene that's going to be from later in the film mm-hmm. and we know Ethan, but we don't really know any of the other players yet. Mm-hmm. And so there's a threat of violence, but we don't really know the emotional stakes of it. And then it cuts into developing those stakes. And it's kind of like Ethan is living this life as kind of not, you know, like more of like a suburban lifestyle kind of thing. We see that he's out of the game. We know now that he'll be pulled into it. But like the first set piece, gosh, what is, what's the first? The Germany one in Berlin in the warehouse where they go and get, yeah. they go and get okay. Carrie Russell. And so then suddenly, yeah, it's like, okay, well now there's Carrie Russell, which like we know that they had this relationship. We, we, you know, we learned that they had this relationship where he was like, you know, training her and mm-hmm. he, she was his first recruit that he had recommended for service or whatever. Um, but it, it's before I, I wasn't really like gripped by the film until pretty far mm-hmm. into it. When we get to the, the bridge attack scene, which was incredible. Um, it's like, it's like, my, that is, that is my favorite action scene in the entire series. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if, yeah, I don't know if I'd say that. But, um, but yeah, it was like, but by then it was like, I, like Philip Seymour Hoffman is freaking scary. Um, we know that there's all sorts of things going on with the IMF, like somebody's double crossing somebody at that point. I think we think it's Lawrence Fishburne has set them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause you, yeah. Oh, I see. You know, so we know there's like, there's that kind of something. So I, I guess I'm saying, uh, you know, there's action early on, but my emotional investment wasn't really in it until that scene, which is fairly far into the film. Hmm. Um, but I wasn't necessarily not enjoying it. I just wasn't really like feeling it, um, until that point, but that scene was incredible. And like, I would say, you know, cause you're into it too. Like it's, it's good action, but it's also like, you care, you know, like you don't want that guy to get away because clearly that guy needs to be in confinement or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess that was the first thing I could think to say about the movie. I think, and I did like it. I think, but- I think what I would say to that is maybe I once agreed with that, but I think that this, the fact that I think in context, um, I mean, this is the only time we ever get uh, just thinking about, you know, Ethan as a character across the entire series. Mm -hmm. This is the only time Mm -hmm. we ever get to see him happy. And I think the reason that that is so important is that like, it's amazing how much hinges on this movie for the entire series. 
I know it's still driving the story today. Yes. That one month long period or whatever where he was just hanging out exactly. with her. Right. And it's like it's not even, not even like the fact that they keep bringing Michelle Monaghan in a limited capacity, but um, just yeah, just the knowledge that he at because that I think this is what sets up that Ethan knows that he has to do what he does because he's the only buddy, he's the only person who can do right. it. Right, like that's. Mm-hmm. That's kind of why I wish the movie ended with them not being together. I wish it ended with him and the scene from Goats Pro where they're like watching her at the hospital because like that is I guess like it because it would be nice. We don't really see on screen the realization that No. That's he can't that's be what the next movie's about. With somebody. Um, Right. No, I disagree. I want him to be. I want. I want a happy ending. <laughs> I, want, I want him to be I happy. happy I just know, like you. I think you kind of. I mean, we literally know watching it, but I think even when you see that movie in mm-hmm. theaters, you understand like this cannot last. Yeah. Like it's not gonna work. Even though she's like, even though she is, and what I think the movie does a great job of, and Michelle Monaghan does a great job of, is she is the perfect woman for him. Like, she's got her own thing. She's a genius. She's sweet and awesome and sexy and fun. And smart enough to, she knows that something, that he's lying to her, but she trusts him enough to let it go on. And she's like a badass when she Mm -hmm. needs to be. Like, if any, if he's going to be able to make it work with anyone, it's her. And it doesn't even come close. Like, it can't happen. It's such a, it's such a liability. Like she's just going to be in trouble all the time. Definitely, yeah. and it's it's they do it in such a way I think um, where like she doesn't feel like she doesn't feel like baggage. Um, like they right, they, I think they yeah. did the um, the thing that every movie has ever done, where the 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 um, the wife or whatever gets kidnapped and uh, like the hero has to go save her, but it really doesn't feel like that i mean she's the one who kills the bad guy right <laughs> i know she kills the bad guy and he's not even awake when and it, it doesn't happens feel, it doesn't feel forced um or anything like that or even like it doesn't even really feel like it's trying to like send some sort of political message it just feels like oh no i, I agree this character has to feel like she matters so let's well, give her some agency and i i think the problem the or the thing that can get tiring about the like you know the ford versus ferrari wife mm-hmm. who like doesn't (laughs) she's just like please i mean even ford versus ferrari tried to do something with her by making her kind of like want him to go Mm -hmm. race um but i think the thing that's tiring about that character sometimes or annoying is that she's just asked to give so much trust Mm -hmm. um and doesn't ask for anything in return but like the end of this movie the reason that relationship works for me is that he's saying kill me and I know you'll bring me back to life because I trust you. And I'm going to tell you about all this stuff because I trust you and I don't give up. You mm-hmm. know, like as much as he asks her to trust him, he also trusts yeah. her mm-hmm. in yeah, ultimately. And that it's so much more like equitable that way. And she doesn't feel like she just is there to serve his story. Yeah. Even though she in cinematic yeah, terms sure. is. <laughs> Especially now. So, okay. 
And in four, they determine they just can't be together because it's too dangerous for her. And so he leaves her. But she's not. It's The decision's already been made. Yeah. So it's whatever happens in between four. these two movies. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, so we don't really like see like, them like talk about any it. James Bond movie or whatever. It's like, oh, that one, that girl's gone now. Right. Well, New right. And time. I don't remember her in Rogue Nation, but I do remember she's back in Fallout. She's not in Rogue um, Nation. Yeah. Yeah. But she's okay. No, the Fallout Fallout was like a big in Ghost Protocol at the end. You you remember he? It's yeah, the end, it's right? End. Yeah. He's he and the team are like having a drink, and then it ha- it's across the street from her hospital. And okay. I think she, does she see she that they're him. she sees that they're she watching him. him. Yeah. So that's like a little cameo. And then she's not in Rogue Nation. And then in Fallout, she's like the big surprise that totally worked. Oh, for, for me. sure. And I think <laughs> I think that was all about. I think that was probably just about like finally wrapping up that thread. Uh, yeah, I don't think she'll be in him anymore. So and the thing is, the, the the I appreciate that so much because I feel like I feel like people probably wouldn't have cared if she just wasn't in Ghost Protocol and we never heard from her again. Like, I feel like that might have... I would have I would cared, cared, but I, yes, normal, normal people. people yes, <laughs> I think. But I appreciate that the three of us cared. You, me, and Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Michelle Monaghan is just one of those actors who's like, she slots mm-hmm. right in and she's so great. Like, you, she's, she's awesome. Shows up. Def- she plays, you know, she plays bomb. this role in a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's really, she's just a very like likable <laughs> screen presence, I think. You know, between defusing a bomb and killing Billy Credit, maybe they should bring her on the team. I agree. Maybe she would be. I know. <laughs> I know. That's the thing is it's like if she didn't. But I think that's part of what's interesting. And I think that's kind of how Ethan regards her. That what she does is more important than you what he does. Yes. I gotta say, you, in you, a way, you can't have your wife on your secret mission team. <laughs> you just can't. Ethan, did you eat your vitamins? You just can't. <laughs> you can't. You can't have it. You can't have it. It's true. I hear you, bro. <laughs> I hear you. Um, yeah, and I guess I want to clarify a little bit. I don't know. If, um, I did like that they were setting up the story uh, at the beginning. Like I said, it was kind of slow to take off. Mm-hmm. Um. But I guess I would, for for me, I have to be into an action scene either as pure spectacle or I have to really care about it within the context of the story. And so I think that's why I was like a little so-so with the movie at first. But I, it wasn't that I minded like, like, oh, I don't care about this story of Ethan in the suburb. Like, I did like that. And I actually, I agree. I hadn't thought about that. But it was nice to see Ethan Hunt, like, happy and, like, you know, yeah. um, develop that. Like, so, he yeah, drives, like, he drives a Volvo, it's- right? Like you're never gonna see that yeah. again. He drives a he yeah. drives supercars think, in the next movie. Yeah, I think, and I do think part of it is like in the context of the rest of the movies. Like, and also because I watched this movie first, this is the movie that solidified my version of who Ethan Hunt mm-hmm. is. Okay, which is a guy who is kind of doing this reluctantly, and it's why I don't like one and two as much. I mean, one's much better than two. Um, but he's so much uh, cooler and cockier in one and two. And in this one, it's like he, and and in a way it kind of establishes, like even though in every single Mission Impossible movie, the IMF betrays him completely, like this kind of sets the tone of like, he, 
he's not he's he's doing this because like you say he's the only one who can do it not because he wants to and not because he owes any loyalty to the agency well, yeah he's walking around the entire movie on the verge of tears right <laughs> right and it's it's because and 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 he he also can't go be a normal person that's what i mean is like i think with where they ended up taking the character it makes more sense for this film to end with that realization for this film to end with i only endanger people by loving them and it's kind of like becomes like what ethan has to love is the entire world at large <laughs> like he has to save everybody has to love every the all of us are his wife in a way um and if he picks one person it's just gonna get them get them killed um and you know the imf has no provision for protecting her anyone in his family i mean that's why he doesn't have it's just a family a really nice piece of connective tissue that in a series that for the most part doesn't really require a ton of connective tissue right well and if they hadn't done that i mean they were not on a track to keep making these mm -hmm. movies yeah i mean i feel like this because feels they couldn't like the last figure out movie, what to do well but but it's like one is amazing two is really mm -hmm. bad i don't think they knew like i think they they needed to figure out that ethan isn't james bond yeah like he's yeah. not He's a different kind of character. He's not a character who, um, you know, goes around the world fucking different women. <laughs> like, he, that's not his story. Yes. Um, <laughs> and that's part of what makes, like, I mean, that works a lot better for Tom Cruise, too, for him not to be that kind yeah, of guy. Yeah, he doesn't want to have sex. Um, for him to just be a guy who cares a lot. But I think, I think, as far as I can remember, this is, I think, the only Mission Impossible movie that starts at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Like all the other, now they've pretty much set, it seems like, a way that they begin these movies, which is with some big operation where they trick a guy, mm -hmm. basically. <laughs> um, but this is the only movie that starts that way. <laughs> it's the only movie um, where we see him uh, like living a domestic mm -hmm. life. I love, I just, I really like how, like, I think the flip side of what Mike is talking about is kind of what I like about it, which is that it assumes the audience is very smart. Um, like we don't see, I kind of wish they had no montage of him training Carrie Russell, but at least I'm, I'm very glad it doesn't happen before he saves her. Like that the film requires you to know Ethan basically yes. like, you have all you have to know Ethan well enough to know that when he finds out that someone he trained and recommended for field work is uh, a hostage or kidnapped or whatever, that that's going to be enough motivation for him to get back into the field that he's not going to be able to, like, let that go. Um and so I don't need to see like, oh, she was really a cool chick and like they had a great time working together. And then later, like the only kind of that's again why I wish that mon later montage wasn't in there. But like you can see it when they're in the warehouse and they're working you know, together in tandem. So yeah. Like and you're like, oh, this is like obviously this comes from like the fact that they've trained together. And There's it's that awesome. one that one um, goddamn shot that is so good where they're like 
crisscrossing each other and the camera is like mm-hmm. moving around them and it's just like perfect synergy. I love mm-hmm. that. That's m- I I also love the reading that he gives to enough when she's like how how many how much ammo do you have oh, or something yeah. and he doesn't go he doesn't go like enough and then he gets up and she, he just goes enough <laughs> or something <laughs> like yeah. it's very like throwaway and I really uh I I watched yes. that a bunch of times. My favorite shot in the movie is in the back in that beginning where it's going back and forth between like close-ups of him PSH and Michelle Monaghan and then you get the like super wide that shows his chair across mm-hmm. from hers it's so and that's the thing too is it's like I think the movie r- assumes that the audience is smart enough to keep up with this stuff but then the filmmaking is extremely good and I mean I don't like many J.J. Abrams mm-hmm. films um, I really like a couple of them, but I'm not convinced that that I've ne- never before have I been like, that's because he's a really great director. Um, right. But this I'm like, especially the scene on the bridge, like that's one of the best directed action scenes I've Isn't ever it weird? seen. Like, it's weird to me, too, that, you know, the director of this went on to direct Rise of Skywalker and one of the writers of this went on to direct The Mummy. Um so, mm-hmm. so it's like what's is that yeah, Kurtzman? Uh, yeah. So it's like what's the yeah? Who's holding this together? It's got to be TC. Yeah. But then, but then you yeah. know, I think we agree that there are moments where it's like J.J. Abrams like steps outside of his skin and does something brilliant. Like you know, you're talking about the, the bridge scene and and how great that is, and all the storytelling in that is great. And I think that when I was watching that last night, it reminded me of in some ways the Death Star battle between Ray and Ben in Ray of, uh, Rise of Skywalker, just like in terms of like yeah. how... Well, it's also on a bridge. It's on, it's on a bridge. <laughs> the story the story is moving forward through the action. There's shit flying around There's them. Flying around uh, them. People, are, people are jumping over big holes and things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I think I just... That's what I mean is it's like the... Where did I put my phone? Sorry. I, that the... Um, Like, the the script doesn't give you a ton of... There's not a lot of exposition Mm -mm. dumping in this movie that I appreciated so much. Because when they do that, it's like, I don't understand this anyway. And it's not fun. So stop. There's there's really only one or two scenes that really feel exposition-y. And I think one of them is... Yeah. One of them is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's where they bring back the 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 subtitled lip reading. And... And, mm-hmm. and it's like it's, it's Billy Crudup basically setting up Ethan to escape and do his bidding. But like, I love that scene. Right. It's so much fun. Yeah, right. And so yeah, that's really. But like the. But then because the script isn't giving you all this shit, it just relies on the filmmaking, the directing, the the editing to make things very clear. And that I feel like more than anything is the reason that I could follow this movie is because everything is very clear while still being shot really well. It's not like it's blandly made like, but I, the, the movie helped me understand the stakes of that bridge scene or like where everything was and like where this helicopter and this airplane and all these cars and these civilians and Luther, like there's a lot to keep track of in mm-hmm. that scene. And it it's very important that you know where stuff is and it just like works so 
well. And it's funny. Like, it's so, this movie is, like, one of the funniest. Like, I, my, one of my favorite <laughs> um, Mission Impossible set pieces is the base jumping thing because it's so, like, screwball-y. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Like, he's not in control at all. This is not a good operation. And that makes sense because they had, like, 25 minutes <laughs> to plan it and, like, no supplies. Yeah. So, like, it should look shitty. And that they're willing to have it not be that good and have Ethan not be in control at all is really fun. I mean, yeah. I know nothing about stunts, but I'm thinking, like, there's two broad schools of stunt. There's, like, make it look cool, do something insane and make it look cool, or do something insane and make it look hard. And, like, that is tom cruise's side of things like everything like why he's so good at this is that when he's hanging onto the side of an airplane he doesn't make it look effortless mm -hmm. it looks really fucking hard yeah. And, and there's, there's, <laughs> yeah there's these little moments that he'll pep that i think get peppered in that really 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 help kind of uh sell our connection to it you know like um in i think in ghost Pro or in ghost protocol when he's when he's scaling the building and like his equipment's not working and he just has all these little like mm -hmm. facial tics of just like he's he's irritated yeah. And uh, like, there's a point where like he falls and he sees one of his his sticky gloves that's just like float around just floating yeah. out of the building, and he's annoyed. But mm -hmm. or in this one when he, uh, you know, there's there's a break in the uh, in the parachuting where he like bursts through a window and he's like just laying there relieved for a moment, and then the wind catches. Yeah, great, great little, <laughs> so good. I love. I that. love that. Yeah. And I do think it's weird. I think J.J. Abrams has kind of a specialty of, like, fangs sneaking up behind a person. Like, he does that a lot, and it's a, in this movie a lot. Like, that, the, air, the airplane, the, like, scary airplane. <laughs> scare <laughs> and he plane. makes it, like, seem like it's a sentient mo Yeah, the scare plane. And, like, the, the parachute in that case just kind of, like, slowly, like, rising up behind Tom. It's, I love that mm -hmm. stuff. And I love that this movie pays that MacGuffin no respect yes, whatsoever. Yes, it's like yes. it's it's what it's what all MacGuffins deserve. Um, but it's like we're not gonna explain what this is. Like they never tell like we don't know the best explanation we get is Simon Pegg going, Oh, it must be some kind of world ending technology. Yes, yes. We like, never get more than that. It's a and we don't even see Tom Cruise yep, go get it's it. A, it's like a <laughs> devastatingly important thing. Uh, but it just makes it so much scarier to and, have people just yeah. kind of like wonder about it. And it just, I think, I think it, it, it leaves so much more room for the characters to shine. Right. But it's also not the real MacGuffin. Like the real MacGuffin is Carrie Russell's message. Oh yeah. Like that's what ends up mattering. That's, that's what Billy Crudup is really, the actual bad guy is Billy Crudup and the actual bad guy is worried about that. Not really the rabbit's foot. The rabbit's foot is just a means to an end for yeah. him. So it doesn't drive the action in and of itself. Tom Cruise isn't even trying to get it because it might be this world ending thing. He's just trying to get it because he doesn't want his wife to die. Like, and that works so much better than shit. Like, I can't even think what's an example of like the worst MacGuffin ever. I don't know. The Tesseract or stuff, stuff like that. Like it, it's, it works so much better that everything about it like no one gives a shit what this object is or the knife in rise of skywalker is that's, like that's the worst uh, MacGuffin. absolutely horrible horrible MacGuffin. um i do like the part where it like fits into the wreckage of the death star that is kind of cool although to sit there and think about someone yeah, making that is gotta build really this stupid knife key right and she happened to be standing the exact right like distance from it for anyway really stupid well and the thing is is that this this movie, this movie seems to 
know something that the series will immediately forget after this, which is that we've all seen fucking movies where the threat of World War Three is is the is the yeah, thing. Yeah, I the know. Pri- in the in the movie before this. They have the most boring MacGuffin in the entire series, a, a super disease. Like, how many movies has that been in? Um, so, mm-hmm. like, to just to go in a completely different direction. Like, this is the only this this and the first one are the mm-hmm. only movies I think that have um, a MacGuffin that feels kind of unique. Well, and the first one only because we didn't know then that every single movie would basically be about that same right. thing. <laughs> Like, would it be about, like, disavowing people and True. and the agency betraying yeah. them? So I think one of the things that makes um, Philip Seymour Hoffman really scary is that there's these moments of, like, vulnerability. Like, when he pulls him back into the airplane and, like, drops him on his back, like, they – the camera stays on him for, like, a moment. And you can kind of see him to himself just like, oh, thank God. <laughs> um, and then uh, – trying to think there was another moment where he kind of did the same thing i don't know they're just like i think it's it's all maybe just like in performance where he he just seems like a person maybe like the the where he looks up in the mirror when he's at the vatican and he sees himself and he's just like what the fuck it just Mm -hmm. there's there's just things there's things that he does that feels just in absolute contrast with something like um henry cavill and uh fallout you know who just seems like a fucking machine um yeah. and well and he's he's so scary that part of the movie he's being puppeted by Tom Cruise in a way and he doesn't he doesn't become goofy. Yeah. Like we see Philip Seymour Hoffman acting like Ethan for a big part of the movie but it doesn't he's not then a joke. He just goes back to being scary. Definitely. <laughs> like, and I think too like I think the you know plot wise the way they work it is Everything that Philip Seymour Hoffman said would happen happens up until the point that Ethan kills him. Mm-hmm. And that's scary. Yeah, which is like they which he points out, mm-hmm. right? Like I yeah, said I would do this. Exactly. And now I'm doing it's this. And, terrifying. Yeah. And I think yeah. I think that moment that moment where um where they pull his goons, pull him out of the truck on the bridge and <laughs> And and they're and they're flying away with him, and the where and Ethan just gets smaller and smaller in the frame as the camera's pulling away from mm-hmm. him, and it's just like, oh shit, bro, you fucked up. It's interesting too because like there aren't, as I recall, it's not like there's shots inside the van of Mm-mm. like Philip Seymour Hoffman being waiting to be mm-hmm. rescued. It's just like, and I feel like there's something in that that works so well. It's like. He's also scary enough that we don't have to see him sitting there being evil and just like waiting calmly for this to be pulled off. The audience just knows like he's in that black mm-hmm. box and if they get in there, like shit is fucked. Oh, one little detail that I always really love about the bridge scene is um when he gets the gun and he's running away from the SUV before the um the drone shoots it with a missile. Uh, and, and like, right as that explosion happens and it throws him against the car, that was Tom uh-huh. Cruise's idea. Like, he was just like, we got to do something. To, like, yeah. get It doesn't even make cool. sense. Like, it doesn't even make, like, the physics of it don't quite make sense. Like, why is he, why is the explosion throwing him perpendicular to the, to the force? 
but uh, it looks so fucking cool because he like slams against it and mm-hmm. then the back window like shatters. I fucking love that so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like a, isn't there like a, I feel like I've watched a behind the scenes probably. about them it's doing probably, that. It's probably yeah. on the disc I sent you. Uh, so the only note I had mm-hmm. left from watching yeah. one, two, and three, can Ethan like, he seems very reluctant to kill henchmen, supervillains, stuff like that. Is Like, there are some parts of these movies where it seems like it would be a very good idea for him to kill that person, and he doesn't. Do they ever talk about that? Does that ever come up? Do he doesn't. Well, I mean, I, he doesn't. There's a reason he doesn't kill Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, and the, the way that they, the movie attempts to get you to buy into that is by saying, like, his buyers are the ones we need to get, not him. That's why they want, like, if they kill him then still all the guys who are like allowing him to exist are mm-hmm. out there. And so I think the IMF's position right. is like, we're not trying to assassinate him. We want information. Um, like he says, what does he say? This is the central intelligence well, agency or and there's no and the intelligence. And the thing is, is like you couldn't get him to talk when you were hanging him outside of an airplane. Like what makes you think you're going to be able to talk, get him to talk in an interrogation room? Like he absolutely should have yeah, killed him. It doesn't, it doesn't hold up. I don't know. And it's just like, like, and here that may be related to that. I had a question about, so like when he is, um, when it's like the fake interrogation that we see at the beginning and at the end, because it's actually not mm-hmm. Julia. Um, why is, when he asks, where's the rabbit's foot? The first thing that Ethan says, I think is I already gave it to you. Yeah. And then he keeps asking him where the rabbit's foot is. And Ethan is like, I don't know if he's refusing to tell him or if he can't tell him because he doesn't know why he's asking. I think I know what's happening. I think I think the second time he asks it, he's fucking confused. I think I think Ethan is an absolute has has lost complete control of the situation more, you know, physically and uh, just he can't even track the thread of what's going on anymore. And I think he's desperately trying to get in control again. I mean, you see him, he's getting angry and angrier. why does... What do you mean? But why is he asking where the rabbit's foot is if Ethan already gave him, delivered the rabbit's because foot? Because he wants to make sure it's the real thing. So the, so, so if, if, you, right. if you notice, um, he pauses before he shoots her. And, mm-hmm. he, and they, the, the camera focuses on, on Ethan letting that tear out. That tear is supposed to, is supposed to be mm-hmm. an indication that Ethan is telling the truth. Okay. Because doesn't Billy Crudup say something like that? Afterwards? Yeah, yeah. He's they like, kind of. I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think they even need to say that. In yeah. The movie. Well. Yeah, and it's a problem because here's the here's my problem with it, is it makes it seem like the stakes of that scene are Ethan deciding between lying in order to save the world or, or, no. Basically, refusing to give up the rabbit's foot because that would endanger humanity and giving up the rabbit's foot to save Julia, which we've already seen that he's willing, like that's his plan is to like, well, no. So that's what I'm confused about. I think that's maybe how you're supposed to read it at the beginning of the movie. I think when you, I think when Mm -hmm. you get it in full context, because we know he's tagged it. Like we know that, that Mm -hmm. he's, he's able to find this thing wherever it is in the world. So I think from, Mm -hmm. from that point, I think once we have that context, I don't think it's about him choosing between Julia and the rabbit's foot. I don't think it is. I think that the filmmaking there or the script, I guess, makes that unclear, though, because we 
because Billy Crudup's just asking that question kind of as like a goof in a way. <laughs> like he's like, we had to be sure it was the real rabbit's foot. And it's like, mm. why would this? Why would it be fake? Like, I guess it's a test that it's like, well, he won't lie if I really make it seem like I'm going to kill well, his wife. Well, isn't the whole thing that um, Billy Crudup's character is, like, paranoid about who knows what, and maybe he, he wants to make sure that he still has, like, he's still um, in control of the situation. So maybe maybe he wants to make sure that, like, Ethan wasn't playing him all along. I mean, mm-hmm. this is maybe this is a reach at this point. I mean, maybe you're right. I, I'm seeing. I, I see your point. Yeah, it just it, that it, that scene doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And it's actually a little bit. I don't want them to shoot Michelle Monaghan, but it upset it. It does upset me a little that that amazing scene that sets up the whole movie was not really real. Like, let that be real, and then yeah. find another way out of it. Yeah. I also, when that scene opened the film, I even wondered, like, is that somebody in the mask? Just because, like, I had just seen Mission yeah. Impossible. Too. Like, I think what they, so, yeah. what would have been interesting is if Tom, is if Ethan was put in the position of saying, like, okay, it's not the real rabbit's foot, but we, the audience, know that it actually mm-hmm. is, and he actually delivered it because he's actually trying to save his wife, but he knows that, like, Billy Crudup or... PSH and both of them assume he's going to lie so then he has to lie in order to save his wife and like something where he has to come up with a creative way to get out of this seeming like no win situation as opposed to just being like oh we did shoot her and it was uh, just some random woman whose face you don't even fully see and that was the one line that for me was the one line of exposition that really was stupid is when Billy Crudup goes uh, he she was his like I don't know, security person, remember? Yeah. He says something and like, she failed him. you remember? Yeah. I was yeah. <laughs> like, no, I don't fucking remember. That to me, that to me is the J.J. Abrams I know, is, 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 is the guy who likes to really double down and make sure you know what you've seen. Right, for a guy who loves mystery boxes so much, he really does, like his, in his worst moments, it's him trying to make sure yeah Isn't you get it i, I wonder <laughs> if it's like a, if it's a confidence thing and maybe it's a confidence thing with the material like maybe the material's not ready for him i don't know but like there, there's just you know thinking about this and then thinking about rise of skywalker like there's just there are moments of just just pure beautiful I competence don't even know and if... then there's other moments where yeah. it's like he doesn't know what he's doing he doesn't trust his audience he doesn't trust himself I just, oh. I think in the case, possibly, I think it's certainly in the case of Rise of mm-hmm. Skywalker, we can't say that it's his fault mm-hmm. for sure. Because that was a studio made film that was, or a Twitter made film. Like, like I think they were focus grouping everything and coming back and saying, people need to some explanation for how, how this knife got here or whatever. Like, and, and I also feel like a little bit in this movie, like I kind of wonder, did, did somebody, did a, did the studio go, you need to show a montage of him training her. So, and then the compromise was to put it, cause it feels so incongruous to me and it was working so well for me 
up until that point where I'm like, this isn't necessary. This just feels like, oh, remember? Like, it feel you know, <laughs> like, that's what it feels, that, that, it, it has that feel to it. Um, so I don't well, know if it's him. And here's the thing, is like, it's, it's actually, it's very out of character for this movie, because this movie is really, really good at setting things up and bringing them back in a way that feels organic. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, they established the, the Lake Wanaka thing, the lip reading, um, the the mm-hmm. truck that ends up killing Davian is introduced um, when Benji's giving him directions, and it almost hits Ethan. So like, there's there's mm-hmm. things like that where it's just and 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 the woman that they they spend time reminding me who she was, like she was a very significant presence in a major scene earlier, you know, thirty five minutes earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it feels like really just like extra pointless. <sighs> yeah, I think I, I almost wonder like maybe this is the one Mission Impossible where someone at IMF doesn't fuck over Ethan. Like maybe Billy Crudup isn't involved. Maybe we just have a kind of like sh- very shadowy mm. bad guy in Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, it's the it's the reason that Carrie Russell was kidnapped. Yeah, I was thinking about that last night, and I kind of think like. I was like, but then why did he? I think they don't want to make Carrie Russell bad at her job. Yep. Because I think the understanding is that she was not ready for field work and she was a bad agent if she just allowed herself to be captured. But if she was set up to be captured by her director, then it doesn't look Yeah, and as... they don't. What is, like, what is his. Because he. he um, Musgrave's whole thing is that he's been working with. Davian, right? Like they've they've been mm-hmm. like they've been in cahoots for a while, and so the 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 reason, and then and then why did he send her to begin with? I don't remember why did why did Musgrave send um, Ferris to to go to Berlin and get captured? Like what? Like w- was it was it something where like Musgrave and Davian have some sort of like they had some sort of falling out? So that that's what's confusing me. Like what what is inciting this whole thing? Hmm. I don't know. Remember like remember like 30 yes. minutes ago when this, Why? when this was the easiest movie to follow in the whole series? <laughs> I know. No, that's a good question. Why did he send her And like there? we don't ever see Musgrave and Davian on screen together and maybe maybe just like some I don't know. It's like at the same time I don't want Was it to give him a hostage? What's that? Was it to give See, cuz it couldn't be cuz I was like was it to give him like a valuable hostage but no because they imf just disavows agents who are captured so, so that what i work. thought it might be and i think i might be wrong was that they put agent ferris in that situation so that they could get ethan like ethan so, involved back to the because I, I, yeah. I was thinking about it and was like well isn't it you know in, in, in the rest That's of the it. movies um it's that Ethan knows that he's the only person who can do what he does. And it's like, oh, I think it's interesting mm-hmm. that in this movie, it's everyone else who knows that he's. So yeah, I'm... it's because it's because they wanted Ethan to get the rabbit's foot. But then foot. Musgrave doesn't That's seem why. like he cares that much about the rabbit's foot. He's much. No, he wants to get the rabbit's foot for PSH just because he Money wants or whatever to. Well, he wants to be he wants to stay in partnership with. So PSH, he's so. I think. Was he trying to yeah. draw out the, right. okay, the buyers? Right. So yeah. he's basically like, I'll I'll help you get the rabbit's foot if you if I can keep then like arresting 
the people you sell to. So so ba- so basically, Musgrave Musgraves he's got Wait. two he's got two goals in this movie: get the rabbit's foot and then also keep his cover. So he's managing basically he's trying to he's burning the candle from both ends. He's trying to manage the situation on two fronts. Right? Am I right? Am I wrong? If he's trying to bring Be- mm-hmm. Ethan back in, I'm getting very confused. I guess, but. Musgraves, if he's trying to draw out the buyers for the rabbit's foot, then he's still doing good. No, yeah, I think he, I think that's the thing, is he, he is okay. like, because there's, what's, who's, is it uh, Lawrence Fishburne who says, I will bleed on the flag to make sure the stripes say red or whatever? Yes. <laughs> I think Billy Crudup is kind of like, here is the extremism the extreme end of that already pretty extreme jingoism, mm-hmm. I think, is like he like he's like, I'm willing to kill people to do my job really well for the United States. I think that's kind of what it is. Like, you're right. He's he's good in the sense that he I think he's doing this in order to be really. And I think part of that is like, the you know, like Lawrence Fishburne disrespects him so much during the movie. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it. And he even says, like, he's just, like, an affirmative action, uh, whatever. Um, like, like Billy Crudup is really pissed, I think, that at the treatment he's received. Like, there's another character that I was thinking about recently who's just like that, where it's, like, he basically gets treated bad for, by you his know, boss. So that he makes him s- wants to be the best That makes his him job. so much more interesting than I had really considered. Yeah. So I think maybe they needed um, – I think maybe we needed a little bit more context. Because I thought, yeah. I th- yeah, I think I that thought could he be... was like a guy who was like running like side gigs to make a buck, or he was just like he's he's less of a. Tr- yeah. No, I think he he's trying wants to do his job. I think he wants to right, but he's trying to put himself in a position that it's very easy to do his job because he's working with mm-hmm. the bad guy. <laughs> Interesting. So that's because that to me is very like that. Remi- it's like penguin. It's like penguin. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> He hired the uh, criminals so he context, can stop them. He went yeah. to the zoo the other day. Yeah, I saw a penguin. Um, um, well, uh, should we sure. finish this one up? Mm-hmm. Do you want to do a cruise minute or has it been so many no, cruise minutes? No, we have minutes? to do a cruise minute. All right, Kit, let's see um, what you got. Oh, okay. My cruise minute will be when he's telling her, when he's telling Julia to uh, that she needs to shock him. Um, and he says on then off. Don't forget the off. I love that. I love when he says, don't forget the off. And then right after that, when she's about to do it, he goes, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I love you. <laughs> like that is so good. Yeah. <laughs> I loved that. That's my cruise minute or my piece of the cruise minute. Um, Andrew, give me a second. I don't really like his hair, his hair in this movie. It's one of the worst. It's too short. He's had it's too film. short. It's too Floby-ish in front. It looks very like shaggy in the bangs. It's uh, weird. It like needs to be longer or shorter. One of I them. I will say this about um, about Tom Cruise. Um, he, I think that, I think this movie feels, in every conceivable way, just about to be a course correction for the series, um, except in one very, very, very important piece. And that is the sunglasses. 
They he like kept the fucking sunglasses yeah, from still bad he sunglasses. Wore the worst goddamn sunglasses. And this is two thousand six. Yeah. So that I was think over. It would like he could have been wearing Ray Bans right, or something. He, he's wearing, wearing Ray Bans in uh in Rogue Nation. Looks great. Looks great. Um so yeah, I think Tom Cruise really let us down. Um I think aviators might have been big in 2006. But, yeah, well, he was wearing, yeah, maybe, but he was wearing aviators, you know, in the 80s. I know, but I'm saying, like, that would have been another option aside from the wraparound Oakley bullshit. <laughs> they just, they make money, right? I mean, that's yeah. a sponsor. Oh, also, uh, I just Googled Tom Cruise News, and it looks uh-huh. like Justin Bieber is saying once again that he can beat him up. Okay. Justin Bieber says. Isn't Justin Bieber two days ago? Justin Bieber said <laughs> he looks he looks bad. I'm looking at Justin Bieber right now. He looks sick. I thought he was sick. Oh, he looks really bad. Yeah. I thought he was. I think he has some kind of disease or lupus. Or it is. T- no, it's Lyme. Like it's something. Lyme disease. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I I'm sorry. I'm a I'm a skeptic. I know that's like not nice to people who have Lyme disease, but it's like okay. So Selena Gomez has lupus. And Justin Bieber has Lyme disease and the Hadids all have also lupus or something. It's just like, really? I don't know. I've never met anyone with lupus, but now, but all these people who all have dated each other have lupus and Lyme and all these chronic illnesses. I just think it's a cover for like drug use. Oh, okay. Update on, update on Justin Bieber challenging Tom Cruise. So, so in, for, for context in June, 2019, um, he said, I want to challenge Tom Cruise to a fight in the octagon. Tom, if you don't take this fight, you're, you're scared. Wrong. You're, by the way. And you will never live it down. Who is willing to put on the fight? And uh, now he says, uh, he said it was, it was all in jest. It was just a random tweet. I do that stuff sometimes. I think he would probably whoop my ass in a fight. He's got that dad strength. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> Imagine if I tweeted, I want to challenge Tom Cruise to a fight, and then, like, the news started talking about it. I do wish we recorded the video on these because I want a, a short clip of Andrew just sitting upright with the microphone saying, uh, update on Justin Bieber. I didn't even see it because I had to flip to another screen. Apparently. John Hamm says that working with um, Tom Cruise on Top Gun Maverick was quote a phenomenal just, experience. It's he's such a great guy and he's such a wonderful actor and it has to be very strange to revisit a role after thirty years that kind of defined your like career. David Miscavige cannot have guns to the backs of everybody's head in Hollywood. It's a weird. No, I think he's good to work know, with. It's just a weird. It's a he, weird. Tom Cruise loves it's just a movies. Weird thing that like he's. Maybe a psychopath, and also everybody in the world who comes in contact with him loves him, <clears throat> and he treats everybody like a person, and when he's talking to you, he's talking right to you and engaged. I mean, that's that's a <sighs> – I talked to a friend at work who says, like, her mom – who loves Tom Cruise, but she said her mom hates, she lives with her mom right now. She said her mom hates Tom Cruise so much that she can't watch movies. She can't watch Tom Cruise movies like at her house if her mom's around because of the like Scientology thing. (laughs) And I shared my uh, theory that the thing that could save Tom Cruise from Scientology is movies. Mm -hmm. Like if somehow we had to, we could 
build a situation where he had to choose between movies and Scientology, he would choose movies. And she was like, he definitely would choose movies. I think so, too. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> um, so my cruise minute, um, I don't know that I have one from this film. and I don't have any news updates. But like I was saying, I did watch one and two again. And um, mm-hmm. before I watched three. And I guess, I don't know. There wasn't like a specific, I really like the Ethan character in mm-hmm. Mission Impossible 1. He feels like this is like a big movie action star that then doesn't feel unnatural mm-hmm. for Tom Cruise. But the Mission Impossible 1 version of Tom Cruise like feels so maybe natural. Like what I want to mm-hmm. see him as. Just like this guy kind of like up against this whole big system. Because, like, he's a big action star. There's lots of explosions and stuff. But everything he does in that feels like a human could do this, but you'd have to be really cool and stuff. But then, obviously, like, I, you know, I love Fallout and Rogue Nation and stuff like that, too. Well, I think Fallout is the most... Not Fallout. I think Rogue Nation is the most, like, Mission Impossible one, in a way. In that it's the one where he's, like, mm-hmm. the most betrayed by the IMF. And he's kind of more... Like, I don't like Rogue Nation as much because Ethan is so cool in it um like he has that cockiness a little bit from the first movie and i prefer maybe purely because i saw the third one first i prefer the not cocky version of ethan but i do think you're right like as the movies like tom cruise does a good job of making it seem like inhuman things are human you know like he's good at like well what if a human being had to hang on to the side of the plane but you're right that like in the first one when he's like dangling in the room it's like well someone could do this they would just have to be very talented whereas there's definitely stuff like the water thing in rogue nation Um, yeah um which is like my least favorite sequence in these movies yeah where he's yeah i don't i really don't like that part and it's maybe because like maybe I like like swimming enough that I'm like this is not possible you know like you can't do this this would kill him like it that I can't buy um so yeah you're right like they've gotten more crazy um more yeah just like more inhuman but like now his thing is like I can show you what it would be like if a human were in this situation that they that they couldn't really be in. Um, I do yeah. think it's kind of interesting that like these first three movies, they feel so distinct from each other. And I think it's, it's probably has to do with just the, the shift in how movies are conceived now. Um, you know, I think they, each one of them feels like they could exist in their own universe. And um, they, they all looked very much like they're made by distinctly different directors. Um, and and this movie was very 2006, like very like that super hot. Yeah. It looks that part of was made. It look like a horror movie Mm -hmm. to me is like, it had like the Dawn of the dead kind of color palette. Everybody's lathered in petroleum jelly. Um, yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, I feel like these, these, like, I feel like those, the first three movies were made, Sadly, I think we were made in a you know a way that wasn't considering sequels. I mean, that's that's a good thing. Um, and I think I think mm-hmm. from like even just the way they were talking about Ghost Protocol before it came out, was like, oh, we want to make it into 
a franchise um, and we want to yeah. build out, like, we want Jeremy Renner to take over and have that be a thing. Which, remember when Jeremy Renner's Gag. entire career was taking over other franchises and then that didn't mm-hmm. work out? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, in- it's interesting to me. Um, and I love, I love all the new movies, but it's, it's, they, they, I feel like they all kind, like, there are, like, creative flourishes that I think, um, do set them apart like here and there like mostly like in sequences but i think as a whole like all three of the last mission impossible movies feel like they're like their own thing well and i think that they're like the Mm trade-off of that i think the the nice thing about it is now we're we're watching tom cruise make movies absolutely like absolutely he feel it feels it 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 feels like this is you know this might be the closest we get to tom cruise directing movies right I hope I not. I hope he actually will fucking direct one, but but he basically is. And so like, yeah, they're more samey, but they're still like definitely the vision of one to two mm-hmm. guys, you know? Like And it's a good so, vision. <laughs> yeah. So they have like they have an originality and like consistency to them that is like less annoying or that maybe than like Marvel movies. I mean, there also aren't as many mm-hmm. of them, but like they don't feel like workshop to death. They still feel creative yeah. and original, but yeah, they we're not going to get like variations in style or like this one where there's like horror elements right, or but something. Then, there, I mean, to there it. are there are. I think like like I think about the the sequence in Rogue Nation at the end where they're in London and they're running through the um, the foggy streets. Mm-hmm. Like that's completely different from anything else in that movie, and it feels that whole sequence feels more like the first movie than anything else in the entire series, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, they're still taking these sort of chances. Um, and it is, it is interesting. It is interesting to, to like have your movie be one way and then kind of commit to mm-hmm. a different style of filmmaking, like three quarters of the mm-hmm. way through your movie and have it work. Yeah. You know? Whereas this like mission impossible three, I think, and two and one, like they feel very, very consistent like they are they are locked into their style they are beholden to it Mm -hmm. um so i don't know there's like a there's like a different a different type of creativity that's going on with the new movies um that feels more fluid i mean christopher mccrory has basically said you know we oftentimes i mean we have a script but like we build these like we make these movies as we're going along which is terrifying Mm -hmm. but they're also good at it um well and there's and they're stunt driven now mm -hmm. which like i would not say that three the one we i wouldn't say that stunt Mm-mm. driven there's like stunts in it that i love they aren't as crazy as they're probably the most grounded mm-hmm. in maybe any of these movies which is part of what i like but it's very story driven mm-hmm. and the later ones are like the story is good and the acting is good but it's definitely all about like set pieces and like getting from one which is fine i love those movies um but there might be a that might be another reason this one's my favorite. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Mike, how is he in... I haven't seen Mission Impossible 2 in like 10 years. Is What is Ethan like in that? Or did you like Tom Cruise in it? Or do you not even really like him? <laughs> I really didn't care for the movie. Um, as far as he went... Actually, it was very weird to watch it. Because like I had not seen it since like 2000 when it came out. But um, he's not really cool, but like I wasn't thinking like, wow, Ethan's so cool, man. He's got this. It was kind of like they're trying to make it like a James Bond film mm-hmm. at that time as opposed to like 
what we now know as a Mission Impossible movie. Like, he's got, like, Thandie Newton as his yeah. love interest and all that kind of stuff. And, like, I didn't think he was bad at all, but, like, the movie was bad. And so... I think I'm going to watch it today. I, I would describe I would describe Mission Impossible 2, like, honestly, I would describe it as what it literally is, which is Mission Impossible meets, or James Bond meets Limp Biscuit. I know. <laughs> There's a lot of Limp Bizkit. There's more than... It was weird. Like, he did the score or something? It's like they use their cover of the Mission Impossible oh, yeah. like over and over again throughout the movie. But it, it was weird, though, watching that movie, because I've watched so many, like, 90s like 99 and before i had like never stopped watching those movies but like the year 2000 on there's a lot of movies i haven't revisited at all and so like they still have a distinct feel to them but like (laughs) something about watching it again it wasn't like nostalgia but it was like oh yeah like it made me think of like the first x-men movie and like just the way things looked and like it wasn't digital film Mm -hmm. yet but Mm -hmm. i don't know but it was weird. I think it wasn't. Incredible. I think I think it's it's there 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 were movies that it was like on the precipice of when we could do anything in a movie with digital effects, um, and it was like right before that, and so it's like there's this there's this strange like I don't know. It's it's weird. It's like the like they're still using like very old practical like uh, you know means of like conveying action but in a in a way that feels like they're trying to like do what movies are doing now i don't know if that makes any sense but that's i kind of felt that way watching this movie last night just like how so much of the action actually takes place in close-ups which uh, and Mm -hmm. not and uh, you know if it's done well it's not necessarily a problem but like i think about how big the movies are now i mean not not just mission impossible but just like like the Transformers yeah, effect. Yeah, just like big wide shots, like really extreme mm-hmm. wides where you see everything because you can do anything um, now just about. Um, and I just like, I don't think, like even like looking at the um, the base jumping scene in Mission Impossible 3, the, um, like that, I like the scene. I think it's really great. And I think Tom is awesome in it. But like, I think... The shots, the close-up shots of him actually at the parachute, they rely so heavily on having the camera gyrate like Michael J. Fox yeah. is running the camera. So, I mean, I feel like um, – Wow, and you like I him. I Michael J. Fox. <laughs> what? Um, yeah, because I think the compositing is really bad. Like, I think it definitely is not mm-hmm. – it so does not look like a real space because it's not, um, which is something mm-hmm. that changes. Um so I don't know. I'm kind of rambling here, but like I think, I think there's just that. Yeah. Like filmmaking was just kind of at a point where it was changing from like, t- like I mean it's mm-hmm. always changing, but from like 1990, like eight or nine, like into the early 2000s, it was like right when CG was like super. Yeah. It was used all the fucking time and super super terrible and like yeah. good. And then there were good movies that were like trying to figure it out. That's. Well, and and John Woo is like, he's such a '90s director mm-hmm. in a way. Like, he he's kind of like, I mean, maybe the defining action director of the '90s, or certainly one of the most influential. Sure. And so then, and then this is like the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Like, he's leaving a decade in which like action will be like completely transformed again into something else. 
Yeah. Yeah, it was weird. And just like I haven't revisited so much of that. It was like the most interesting thing about Mission Impossible 2 was kind of getting those vibes again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, that makes I me interested to watch it because like in my I ha- I have such a hard time nailing down like when all these movies came out and I thought I like I would have guessed that Mission Impossible 2 came out in like 98 or yeah. something. Um like it, they're always l- later than I thought they were. Like uh, even the first one, the first one I always think it's like that was like 1991 or 2 mm-hmm. and it's like 96. Yeah, it's 96. Yeah, 96. Like it's so weird that that was like the year before Jerry Maguire. I know because he <laughs> so looks like, he looks so much. I think he looks so. He much looks younger. really yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. Like maybe I mean maybe it's um, what's his freaking name? Who's the director? Uh, of De Palma. De Palma. De Palma. Like De Palma has such like a classic yeah way of making films, and then like Cameron Crowe is like a very contemporary. Like mm-hmm. you know that's yeah. like his anyway. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. I know you got to get to the doctor, mm-hmm. but now the whole audience knows. I'm She's dying. Got lupus. Shots. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Great episode. Yeah. All of my wonderful insights. Yeah. But yeah. Great triple feature, Andrew. I have now seen uh, three more Tom Cruise films than than I had before. I can't wait for the whatever the next Tom Cruise triple feature is. And um, yeah, Kit, I look forward to your next triple feature. Mm-hmm. So join us next time, everybody. Have a blessed day. Thank you.